0: What have you got there, mate? Just a glass of wine.
1: Alright, right. How is it?
0: It's alright, I guess. I mean, obviously it's not really delicious like a pint from Beer 52.
1: Well, it's a good job that this episode of Podcast Secrets of the Pharaohs is sponsored by Beer 52, the world's
0: number one beer club. With Beer 52, you'll receive a case of beer every month featuring craft beers from all over the world, including Belgium, California, New Zealand and more. As well as getting
1: eight free beers, you'll also receive the award-winning magazine Ferment, as well as a couple
0: of different snacks. Perfect for a night in, or... An innocent picnic in the park. For the last time, it was a picnic. You couldn't see the snacks. We had two different types
1: of snacks. Best of all, you can pause or cancel your membership at any time, so you don't need to worry about the ombudsman coming to get you if you want to take a break from your membership.
0: So seriously, what are you waiting for? If you want to get started with a free case of beer, head to beer52.com forward slash peep to access your first case for free. Eight beers, Beer 52. Eight! That's insane. All you need to do is pay the £5.95 for postage. And don't worry if you're not a fan of dark beers, there is a light option available.
1: So that's beer52.com forward slash peep to get your first Beer 52 case for free.
0: Poor me. Poor me. pour me another glass from Beer 52.
1: Cheers.
2: Cheers. Hi, I'm Sam Bain and you're listening to Podcast Secrets of the Pharaohs.
0: Hello and welcome to the podcast Secrets of the Pharaohs, a podcast all about discussing and reviewing the British sitcom Peep Show. My name's Tom Harrison and I'm joined as always by Rob Graham. Hello! And as you can probably guess from the title of this episode, that we're also about to be joined by the man, myth, Peep Show legend that is co-writer, co-creator, co-producer, what are all sorts of labels that we can attach to him, and that is uh, Mr. Sam Bain, who... I think, you know, at the start of this, we were like, Jesus, if we can get Sam on one day, like that will kind of be uh, that's like the end game stuff. And uh, we're really, really excited to to share our conversation with him.
1: Yeah. And it sort of really came out of the blue, like I'd messaged him months and months ago. So this interview, like you're hearing this sort of mid-July, we recorded this interview in mid-April, not long after we'd done the interview with Robert Webb.
0: Yeah, blimey, yeah, that's a long time ago. Now. <laughs> yeah,
1: so so a long time ago, we we spoke to Sam, and it's sort all of come out of the blue. Like I messaged him on Instagram months ago. wasn't even then I'd messaged him, and for some reason he just randomly picked up my Instagram message and said, "Yeah, let's let's sort it out." Um, and one bam, thank you, man. We had, we 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 had the interview secured, and it was just a bit of a whirlwind. Like with the what like with the one with Robert Webb, it just sort of suddenly came about and. It was an absolute pleasure talking to him
0: yeah so a big shout out to sam for uh he's a a big timer now he's out there in um in california doing his thing breaking america um so really appreciate him uh taking the time out of his day with like the time difference as well it's like eight hours different so a little had to make sure that we got the calendars right um but yeah, big shout out and thank you to, to Sam. It's um, like I said before, like, you know, when you go in doing something like this, you only dream of getting these sorts of people. Um, so it kind of, you know, helps complete the podcast more than we ever thought we would. Um, so we're going to talk all things Peep Show, you know, where they started and how it developed and changed, how comedy has changed. Um, in that time, sort of, you know, how people look back at Peep show today, loads of different cool stuff to to talk about, as well as a few um, hidden sort of, you know, reveals and exclusive type little things, Um, at one point he even dug out one of the old scripts on his computer and we had a little look at that, we talked about... You know uh, the rewrite, the the famous rewrite of the series three finale. So we sort of got like the certain answer on that, which was really interesting. Just loads of great stuff, really.
1: It's great. I think what was great about it was just hearing it from the horse's mouth, because we've spoken to loads of the cast. We've spoken to like big Peep Show fans. We've spoken to people who think they know their stuff about Peep Show, and we think we know our stuff about Peep Show. But to hear it from the person who Peep Show was his brainchild or certainly was his and jesse's brainchild that's categorical proof that all the things mm-hmm. that we thought are true
0: <laughs> yeah exactly um so yeah kind of i don't want to bang on too much about it but it's sort of is, it really is that dream guest so um should we, we just jump right into it actually yeah uh, let's not keep the people waiting too much yeah let's bring some in cool all right so well, here's our conversation with sam bain one uh, one bit of warning though before we dive into the call and um, we just want to say that while we were talking to sam as, as great as it was there was a some slight interference noise that we, we could pick up so we do apologize in advance we've done what we can to sort of uh, minimize the impact of that as much as we can um but we hope that you sort of would bear with us like it was a great conversation um so hopefully that you, you still enjoy it a great deal Thank you very much for, for joining us. It's uh like we never thought that we would get to this point really when we started this podcast. So it's uh it feels like quite an honour to to have yourself on, Sam. So thank you for joining us. Um we just wanted to start by um so asking how you were getting on with the the lockdown, particularly as a, a writer. Um we spoke to Robert Popper not that long ago, um, and he was talking about how, you know, he's found that you can just like really get his head down and just write, write, write. Is that something that you've Um, you've had a similar experience or has it been a bit different over there? Obviously, we're conscious you're in the States as well.
2: That sounds like Robert. He's a very hardworking, industrious individual. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's not been too too much of a change in a way for me writing at home, excuse me, which I've been doing for 25 years. But um, I guess the big change, obviously, is like nothing's shooting, nothing's filming. I didn't have anything about to film anyway, so that's not too big a tragedy. But yeah, it's um, relatively business as usual,
0: I would say. Cool. Uh, and then just a, a quick fire one to get us started that's still on the, the lockdown theme is uh, something we asked Robert Webb was, uh, how would do you think that Mark and Jez would have got on uh, under lockdown together?
2: I think that um, they would both hate it. I think that, Jeremy would probably go feral in about three days and end up sort of in full body paint (laughs) and sort of um, terrorizing Mark and Mark would trying to be sort of recreating JLB credit or whatever job he was at in the office trying to at home and trying to keep it normal I imagine.
0: I'm picturing Jez now with like tribal markings walking around in only socks (laughs) and Mark trying to put a PowerPoint together. (laughs)
2: I mean, to be fair, the whole show, they are sort of an emotional lockdown together for for nine seasons. So it's not too different.
1: Yeah, that's kind of exactly what uh, Robert Webb said. He said it's like almost like a um, an allegory of Petro is almost an allegory of what we're what we're in now. It's quite a quite a unique um, sort of perspective on it. Um, So obviously you're sort of famed for working with your partnership with Jesse. Can you tell us a bit about sort of your journey of working with him, where that came from, sort of how it's developed?
2: Sure. So me and Jesse met uh, in 1991, if you can believe that, in Manchester. We did a creative writing course together and ended up becoming friends, living together for a year in Manchester, hanging out in London when we graduated. And we were both trying to write stuff, um, prose and screenplays and stuff, and just sort of graduated to writing together. And pretty much the first script we wrote was sort of, you might say, a prototype for Peep Show, in the sense it was a flat share script with with two guys and a kind of crazy super hands-like figure as the central three. And that, was something that we kind of gravitated to straight away. I guess two men like us who spent too much time together anyway, quite liked writing about two men who spent too much time together. And Pete's show was quite different to that original script, but it was the same DNA, I guess, of the characters. We didn't have the POV stuff or the VO stuff at that point. That came years later, but I think it was... um you know, shared sensibility that's obviously the fundamental building block of any writing partnership, shared humour, shared work ethic, shared aims, and then just trying to make sure they laugh.
1: So, obviously, you talked a bit about sort of the development of where Peep Show was coming from way, way back, and we've spoken to a few people about the, the Beavis and Butthead concept of it initially. So, when, when did that sort of grow and develop the Beavis and Butthead concept into? what then became peep show
2: yeah so the way i remember it is andrew connor who ran objective and who was the exec producer came to us and said we, we do, we're doing a chef channel for sort of on web talking over archive clips no nothing film just 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 audio over existing material but they wanted to expand it to be something bigger than that so when you watch the first series, as I'm sure you have, <laughs> um, you'll notice there's a lot of watching of TV clips, which didn't really last the rest of the show, and that's because that was the DNA of where we came from. So we imagine these two people watching TV and talking about it, but then obviously we wanted to expand into the rest of their lives in the flat and so forth, and I guess the VO idea came as a kind of thinking of, well, if they can talk about what's happening on TV, maybe they could talk about what they're thinking about when they're getting yogurt out of the fridge or whatever it is. So it was like a way of expanding that concept, but also we sort of had these characters, like I mentioned from our very first script, sort of on the shelf, sort of ready-made for for Robert and David, because we'd already tried to develop that show for them at the BBC, which hadn't worked. So we kind of dusted off the characters and put them in this slightly strange, high-concept show with cameras on their heads.
1: So you sort of, when you were writing it, you you knew that it was that it was David and Robert you were writing for, rather than writing it and then try, the sort of the team trying to bring in bringing people that that fitted your your vision.
2: Exactly, which makes a huge difference, I think, to the show because it feels, hopefully, it feels like the the characters are bespoke you know, tailored to their amazing gifts as actors.
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So um, I've listened to quite a few of the commentaries that uh, you and Jesse have done on on the various episodes, sort of picked them up on YouTube. and so I've, I've heard a bit about your writing process. Um, so was it, always, was it always the way that you would sort of try and take it in turns to write the episodes and then bring them to each other? Or did that develop as you went through?
2: Well, our process is basically we spend the first few weeks or maybe longer just sitting in a room together generating story idea after story idea and then sort of eventually mapping out six episodes eventually together crafting scene by scene breakdowns of those episodes so by the time we go to our separate houses and start writing we've already done all the sort of hard work in a sense what they call breaking the stories in america we've already done that so in a sense all that's left is the fun bit of actually writing the dialogue and writing the scenes so it's very collaborative from the beginning to the end even when i'm writing on my own on a Peach episode i feel like i'm doing it with jesse because we've already talked about every single scene and often we've written dialogue for those scenes already
1: so obviously the vast majority of the episodes were written by you and jesse although in the later series obviously with other people have got writing credits like simon blackwell how did how did you feel about sort of handing over your your and Jesse's baby to another writer like that?
2: Yeah, that was a that was a, a moment I remember it quite well well in it. That particular series I think it was series five, excuse me. <clears throat> I think it was series five that we did that with Simon for the first time, and that was really because we were just busy I think we were writing Four Lions with Chris Morris at the time. But it did feel like a sort of odd new direction, but obviously we picked the best writer we could have picked and someone we already knew very well. And he was very brilliant so that made a huge difference and the other two writers we've used tom basden and john brown we also knew very well i would I think we would have done it if we hadn't had such good writers that we could trust
1: yeah completely um so we've heard about um some of the many now famous actors people like russell brand danny dyer being um considered or, or even auditioning for various parts are there any more sort of famous stories of this, where there's somebody who has gone on, who didn't appear in Picture who's now gone on to be a massive name?
2: I wish I could tell you there were. With Danny Dyer, we kind of, we loved him in Human Traffic. I don't know if you've seen that movie. It's like a 90s classic rave comedy. He's great in it. Way before he was famous. And we, so, we always imagined him as Superhands and Russell Brand came into audition. We didn't never, I've never heard of him. But, you know, on the whole, we, um, we kept uh, the casting. We always wanted it to be people who hadn't necessarily seen before. The only exception to that, I would say, was a, a memorable kind of conversation we had, which never came to anything. You know the episode where they go to the Christian festival? And yeah. And Mark gets into Crystal Skulls with Callie. Yeah. So for a while, I had a friend who was friends with Rosanna Arquette, who was in London, and we talked about her playing that part. Um, but then that never happened. And there was a talk for a while about writing that role for Elizabeth Marmure to make her return as Tony, which we always talked about doing, but again, that didn't happen either. There was even a draft of this, of the final episode, the final party scene in the final series, where we had a lot of, Jamie's ex-girlfriends like Big Sue's and Tony, sort of as guests. But we and we did think about doing that, but we decided it might be a little bit too self-referential and might sort of just slow everything down. And we were worried about not being able to have time to do those actresses justice, so we didn't do it in the end.
0: Hmm, that's interesting. I just wanted to to jump back slightly to the the topic of uh, bringing in new writers like Simon Blackwell and, and things like that. Like, What was that process like, bringing in someone new? Did you still oversee those episodes and have like a final edit of script?
2: Yeah, very much so. You know, We we sort of pitched around ideas of stories with Simon, John and Tom. And then, you know, it's not that we took back the script and we wrote it because they're such good writers we didn't need to. But yeah, we, we very much took a very active role in plotting them, especially. And of course, in those series... There was always a story arc of some sort, so you had to find a way to fit in what they were doing with what we were doing.
0: So were they involved in those slightly earlier conversations where you said you and Jesse would get together and sort of brainstorm all those like key points for the episodes and then you would split up? Were they involved in those conversations early as well? That's
2: right. So me and Jesse had already talked about the whole series, and the first people we ever talked to about any series is David and Robert. We have what we call a peep show plot party, usually at a gastropub. Near Jesse's house in South London, and we were the the first person people we talked to about our plans for that series would be David and Robert. So once they've approved it, we can go ahead and sort of get into more detail.
0: Very cool. And
1: when you started writing the show, or even once you sort of done the first couple of series, did you? How far ahead did you plot an ending of the show? Because obviously. You, you sort of didn't know whether it was going to be re- recommissioned on a series by series basis so how far in the future did you sort of have the plot of the show mapped out
2: yeah that's true so we, we would always plot in advance of writing anything you want to know what you're headed, headed to <clears throat> I think as you, you correctly say with the first three series in particular maybe the first four we were never um, guaranteed to come back so we always had to write every, every one of those four series as if the last episode was the last episode ever. I think from series five onwards, we had, I think Shane Allen, who was head of comedy at channel four, gave us a double commission. One, I'm not sure which two series they would be, maybe five or six. And at that point we felt like, okay, we're, we're sort of safe. We can sort of plan ahead and not, not have to write every final episode like it's the final episode ever. But first four we definitely had that we didn't we weren't complacent i don't think at all
0: yeah that's something in our chat with uh with robert webb and he told us he it, he seemed to think that it felt like a, a minor miracle that the show got renewed each time which i it seems so strange now when you look back over you know how peep show is regarded but d- did it feel like that then that each one was like a, a sigh of relief
2: oh yeah i mean series two being commissioned was a major miracle because we, Me and Jesse had been involved in a couple of sitcoms, adult sitcoms, as well as kids shows, but the adult shows hadn't done well, and we were well aware that one series might well be it. So we were extremely focused on getting to series two. And we always felt like, well, two series is respectable, Faulty Towers, The Office, you can sort of say, oh, that's all we wanted to do and pretend it was your idea to stop there. So we always wanted to get to Series 2. Then after that, it was just like, let's just keep going as long as we can. But yeah, I mean, look, the ratings were not great. This is obviously a long time ago, and the ratings now would be fine if not great. But in 2003-04, they were not impressive. So I think we always felt we were lucky to keep going, especially in the early years.
0: Mm, yeah, absolutely. I think some of the... Um something that we've spoken about in our various reviews of episodes is that some of the episodes that are typically around the, so the series three finale and the series four finale where, and we discussed uh, series three and four seem to be really where like things like took off, like in quite a major way. Um, And so how we're talking about how some of those best episodes in quite a lot of shows actually are ones where you take the characters out of their usual environment and just throw them into the wild almost um so was was there a conscious effort to do a bit more of that sort of stuff as the the series progressed because the series three and four particularly like four in particular really seems to feel that way
2: yeah i mean look series four to be frank we had major budget issues for the first time because the shows we were doing were so expensive because there was so much outside shooting it's a lot cheaper to shoot inside a flat for six episodes than it is to go on a barge and to a church and all the other places we went on that series and I think <clears throat> we put lovely piers reed our production manager under a lot of pressure and it was it was tough because we it was becoming very ambitious but yeah you're quite I think you're quite right in the way you analyze it you know I think the first two series had given us the confidence that we knew the characters and we'd established them in their world and once you have that then you have a bit more confidence to go, well, let's take them on a barge. Let's take them somewhere new. And we were doing that consciously. And certainly from that series on, we always try to have at least a few episodes in every series that were sort of quote unquote specials, like a special event, you know, whether it's New Year's Eve or Christmas or a holiday episode or a wedding. It just felt like it raised the emotional stakes and gave us a kind of, focus that you might lack if it's just another episode of them in the flat
1: and we actually picked up on that it took us a couple of series to to work it out but then when we sort of looked and we went hang on the series the series ender of every single series has got that big whether it's a wedding whether it's a funeral whether it's um like the new year's eve whatever it was and so we did we sort of picked up on that um so going back to something you said uh, earlier and you sort of talked about the the viewing figures that it got do you <laughs> And we're obviously massive fans of the show, but it never really seems to have got the mass audience that we feel it deserves. It still has that impression of being sort of a cult show rather than a mainstream audience. Yeah.
2: Is that is that, is is that, that I think that's yeah. That, is that a statement or a question?
1: <laughs> well, it was, the sort the question is sort of do you feel like it deserved more of an audience? than it's got without 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 sounding too much of a harsh question
0: no i think the thing with that is it's more that i think at the time i think i think now and something that i definitely want to talk about later is like the the second wave with netflix whereas now i think it it totally does have that big audience but it seems like and something you touched on as well earlier on is that in particularly those early series which is quite you know common i guess for for a show um but like how did you feel that much i suppose you were talking about how you know getting it uh, recommissioned was a you know a sigh of relief on occasion
2: yeah no i agree with that what you say about it being a culture you know i think we've actually been very very lucky because the way you describe it going from sort of cult hit to being relatively well known now means that the people who liked it from the beginning still like it because they felt they discovered it. As a a fan myself of comedy and other stuff, there's something really exciting about stumbling upon some weird late night show. I think we were on at 11 o'clock on the first series. So, oh, this is my show. No one's banging on about it. No one's telling me it's great. I've discovered it. You can't really put a price on that level of ownership from an audience. So I think we're very lucky to have that. It's never been a show which has sort of been shoved down people's throats. But now, of course, with the internet, Netflix and YouTube, it is available. You know, if you like one episode, you can literally watch nine seasons, you know, if you stay in the same chair <laughs> right, right now, which is a huge bonus for creators because at the end of the day, we just want our, our stuff to be available to people, which it is. And I think the more episodes you do, the more you create a relationship with an audience, you create a relationship with characters, which is a huge, you know, bonus. But look, I, I have no, so I have no resentment or bitterness or disappointment about the show's audience. I feel like it's the best high quality audience we could ask for people who really appreciate the show. That's all you really want. Um, and yeah, you know, we, we did have a few early adopters. I think Ricky Gervais was, was very nice about the first series. We got, Award nominations early on, you know, and you can be quite sniffy about awards. I certainly, you know, have my issues with them. But for a young show with a low audience, it can be a great help to give you confidence that people are paying attention.
0: Mm. Yeah, totally. And so, just an extension of that, when we're talking about Netflix, like, how how do you feel about that second wave of fans? Is that something that you've really noticed? You know, since it went on that platform?
2: Yeah. I mean, look, I'm talking to you guys. You know, I I don't mm-hmm. imagine. You were, maybe you were watching the first series when it we went out in 2003, but I doubt that you're shaking your head. I'm correct. <laughs> no, no.
0: <laughs> I think I arrived around, I think series four was, was my sort of intro point.
2: So you are, I'm talking the second wave, and I couldn't be happier about it, because how many shows have the first wave, let alone two? I mean, look, I feel incredibly grateful and fortunate, you know, that we have people who still watch the show. Like I said, it's been off air for five years. And that is a long time. People can forget things very quickly, but for whatever reason, they haven't. And that's something I feel extremely pleased about.
0: And so, with those new fans arriving, like, how do you feel that the, the show holds up? Because obviously, it started back in 2003. And I think there are quite a lot of sitcoms that, you know, can become vulnerable to like the, the cruel passage of time. But I, I feel like Peep Show does hold up remarkably well. I know there are, there are some sort of. There are some incidents and things that perhaps would be, you know, would get a bit more of a sharp intake of breath, like Jeremy doing the like the, the blacking up for Nancy and things. But I think on the whole, it's, it's done very well.
2: Yeah, um, well, I think you're probably a better judge of that than I am. So I thank you for, for answering that question for me. I mean, <laughs> I, I haven't watched, I don't really watch the shows after we make them. So I haven't seen the first series in... 17 years so it's hard for me to judge I, i'm very aware that it doesn't look great that first series was shot on tiny cameras that we mounted on bicycle helmets as you probably know whereas the later series we upgraded our cameras um but look you know for me the spirit of the show was intact from day one and i think that's what comes through hopefully to people the characters and the tone and the intention behind it is pretty consistent. I, I think hopefully that comes across.
0: Mm. I'm curious why um, why you haven't watched it back that often. I think that seems to be a thing that actors and, and directors and things take quite a bit. Is there any reason for that? Um, how can I explain it? Um, the amount of time
2: I spent on each episode. You know, it takes us nine months to make one series of fairly continuous work. It's It can be a very um, emotionally draining, painful, exciting, thrilling, disappointing process. To watch an episode now would be a commitment for me because I'd be having to relive all the things that didn't happen, all the things we chose not to do, all the things that went great, all the things that didn't go great. It's just a very different experience to sitting down with a bag of popcorn and watching something else that someone else has made. It just... I, I, I'm not saying I wouldn't do it. And occasionally, Jesse says he watched an episode and liked it, and I think, oh, maybe I should watch one. But I haven't, I haven't done so yet. I just, it just feels like I pretty much lived it, so I don't necessarily need to relive it. <laughs> yeah,
0: okay. Yeah, I, I get that. Yeah, I, I urge you to rewatch them because they're very good. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I appreciate that.
0: Support for Podcast Secrets of the Pharaohs is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, and Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0, all across Europe. You heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer, 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code PEEP at manscaped.com. So why do you need Manscaped's lawnmower 4.0? Well, we've all got our own nightmare grooming stories about shaving our nether regions. Whether it's nicks, cuts, and grazes, or an unfortunate tale involving hair removal cream, it can seem like you're always a moment away from disaster. Not with the lawnmower 4.0. After using it myself, it really does make a massive difference. It's quick, easy to use, and most importantly, I felt safe while using it. With the Lawnmower 4.0, Manscaped have engineered the ultimate groin trimmer with their advanced skin safe technology making you confident to shave your boys. So if you're like Mark and are worried about your testicles looking abnormal, the Lawnmower 4.0 can give you the confidence to do something about it and make your balls feel like a million dollars. So go on, start shaving your testicles like it's the most natural thing in the world and get 20% off and free shipping with the code PEEP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PEEP. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Your balls will thank you.
1: Um. So what do you make of the... Um the in terms of you the amount of time you sort of put into writing it, what do you then make of the attempted remakes that have obviously happened since? And I've read uh, your interview that you did when you were talking about the the reboot with the two female leads in in America. Um, is it is it flattering? How does it feel when you see these sort of um, remakes happening? Well, there's been okay. So in
2: my memory, there's been four attempts. The first one was done without any involvement from us, and I think that's the one on YouTube. Um, which you can see in all its non-glory. So I don't need to go into much detail on that. They didn't do much of what we did in terms of VO and POV and stuff like that. So that wasn't a happy experience. Um, The second one was something that we were more involved with, which they actually shot a pilot for a channel in the States called Spike, and that didn't go to series. So that, that was fine you know not, not a big deal either way particularly the third one was a script which never got to pilot which we had a couple of calls about but the fourth one is one I'm actually actively involved with a fact that I was reading an outline uh, a scripted document yesterday about it and that's something that I have been sort of championing because I, I got to know a great writer here in LA Kerry Dornetto who's done a lot of really great comedy and I felt like if you were going to do a remake, doing it in a way that's exciting and radical, like two women, might actually be a much more exciting way to go because hopefully um, it would separate you from too much comparison with the original show. And I think those remakes, the ones that work, are much fewer than the ones that don't work. You know, it's very easy to lose what's special about a show when you remake it. So the first meeting I had with Carrie when I suggested the idea to her, my thing was, look, you know, take the DNA of the show, take the POV and the VO stuff, take the two flatmates, and everything else, just make it up, make it your own, make it a different show, a new show in a different city, different country, different people. Just take what you like and leave the rest, basically. And that's what I think she's done and doing is
0: doing really well. It's interesting what you say about, you know, remakes that stick that don't differentiate themselves enough i think that one example of that is the the in-betweeners remake which seemed to flop like quite hard and i think when you try and i think this was a, a thing with the the early series of the the u.s office where they almost went word for word with the the british version and didn't do enough to you know make it their own so we we're very conscious of getting like a experienced american tv writer involved from the get-go for this one yeah
2: that was the whole idea you know i wouldn't have done it if i hadn't got to know carrie and thought she'd be perfect because you know in tv especially in america the writer is king they're called showrunners for a reason you want someone to just own the show and that was always the idea from the beginning to make it something very distinct
1: yeah, and we talked about that. We actually dedicated a whole episode of our podcast to talking about the news. See, based on your uh, the article that we saw that you would uh, sort of been interviewed for, and we we sort of discussed the fact it has to be exactly what you said the the concept of the the voiceovers and the POV. But then after that, if you tie it too closely in together, and it has to be one of them has to be a, a credit manager, one of them has to be a fair musician. When you when you start tailing it in too much, it it's always going to be the american peep show rather than whatever Kerry wants it to be
2: yeah and i think more so now than when we started talking about it a year or so ago the show is still alive peep show right so you can't ignore it people who like comedy will probably have seen both if they watch the second one if it gets made whatever so you have to be aware of that and i think that yeah we'll see i mean hopefully it'll work out it's kind of still a work in progress
1: very cool yeah definitely um, so we talked to Robert, and you've mentioned it briefly, about the um, the deal with the BBC that Robert and David sort of had with, with, with the shows that they were they were doing. Do you think the peep show that you wrote would have worked on any other channel? It does seem like a very Channel 4 type show.
2: Yeah, I feel very um, sort of protected and fond of Channel 4 because you couldn't ask for a better experience, I don't think. They championed it, they recommissioned it, they commissioned it in the first place, which the BBC probably wouldn't have done or, you know, didn't commission a version of the show when we tried with them. And, you know, I think um, one of the great things about Channel 4 is all they ever wanted it to be was itself. All they ever, the only notes we ever got were really encouraging us to go more into the voiceovers more into the unique qualities of the show they never want to make it you know more commercial or water it down and so yeah i <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> it's i think it's one of the longest running sitcoms on channel 4 and i'm very proud of that so they gave us a great run basically
1: yeah were when you were writing it were any of the characters based on real people like when we've heard um ian and damon from the in between us talk about their the various characters they've based on on real people so like was gog based on a, a loser friend that you had for example or something like that
2: <laughs> um gog no i mean there was a, a guy i knew who i was working with at the time who said who asked me to go and get him a kebab and me and Jesse (laughs) thought that was hilarious. (laughs) Obviously little, I haven't thought about that in 20 years, but since you mention it, obviously little bits of our real lives pop up in weird places, but the character of Gog wasn't anyone. But that particular interaction, I remember telling Jesse about it, how I felt about it, and he just thought it was funny. And that's obviously a lot of times where our working day would start after the tea and coffee is talking about what we've been up to in our lives and a lot of that stuff made it into the show
0: very cool um, so one of our fairly recent guests was uh, was Robert Popper as I mentioned earlier um, and one thing that we've talked about on this podcast as well before that I wanted to try and dig into even more um, was about this uh, the story that circulated online about this original draft for the series 3 finale. Um, and and Robert had sort of shed a bit of light on it from his perspective, um, and how this original version was taking them all off to to Paris, and then it was rewritten. Um, is there any like what was your take on that? Like why did you decide to sort of make it take them somewhere quite exotic for Peep Show, a bit sexy for Peep Show?
2: Yeah, did we talk about that in the um, in the book? I can't remember. We might have done. Have you got a copy of the Peep Show? Book.
0: No, I'm afraid not.
2: I think we talk. I think there's even some extracts in that book. I'm not trying to plug the book, but I'm. Um, <laughs> I'm literally as I as I um, talk to you. I'm going through my hard drive to find the scripts we're talking about, but I remember it pretty well. And basically, um, yeah, there's a few reasons why we changed that. The first one was budget. I think Phil Clark, our lovely producer, had a look at it and said. Hmm, Paris, maybe not. <laughs> which is fair enough. But, um, but also, I think that, um, well, I remember we did a read through of, of that episode, and, uh, it, you know, people didn't like it, <laughs> basically, because, um, Johnson committed suicide, and that yeah. is very funny. <laughs> That's what I remember about it. Um, so, yeah, it was... The idea was that Mark would be... I think the, the joke idea is that Mark's in Paris um, with Sophie. He's going to ask her to marry him, which is what obviously happens in the real episode he films. And then um, he finds out that Johnson's died, and he doesn't want to tell Sophie that piece of news because it's going to ruin the romantic vibe. But the, the longer he leaves it, the worse it makes him look, and that's what we found funny about that storyline. It's like how just the, it's something you can only do in Peep Show, really, of um, how long can I leave this? The, more, the longer I leave it, the worse it will seem, and it's sort of like how, when do you let go of the rising balloon? That was the um, that was the idea.
0: Oh, that's really interesting well i'm very glad that uh johnson managed to survive because i think he's quite a lot of people's um you know favorite characters or certainly of like you know outside of mark and jez so uh, very grateful for that <laughs> yeah
2: i mean you know it was a fairly brutal i think it was one of some, something you write and you don't um ever expect you don't really think about it um but yeah when you hear it uh when you hear it actually read out by people, you think, "Okay, we can't really do this. It's too horrible." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking at the first draft now. Um, Reeve Gauche, prison bistro, dingy French restaurant. And some of these scenes ended up sort of repurposed. Assume they go. Assuming they're looking for a restaurant, and and Sophie, you know, they can't find a, a restaurant that, um, that Sophie um, is happy with is in there there's a lot of Tony in this episode and she was meant to be in this series, but then she couldn't do it. So we we created the character of Big Suze fairly late in the process to replace a lot of Tony's roles.
1: So what's the idea with Big Sue's? Because obviously Big Suze is mentioned in series one. So it was the idea that she was only ever meant to be this character that we heard about but never saw?
2: Yeah. And so when we, when as often happens with shows, I think both, I think for series three, I remember it being a bit of a double whammy because both Rachel Blanchard, who played Nancy, and Elizabeth Marmion, who played Tony, weren't available quite late on. So we sort of, and those are obviously two, the two love interests of Jeremy from the first two series. So we had to, we sort of had to create something from nothing a little bit, and we got lucky with lovely Sophie Winkleman because it was a tough, a tough corner, one of the toughest corners we've been put in, I think, as writers, yeah.
0: Yeah, and out of it, you've got a great character who then, you know, goes on to become semi-regular, you know, dips in and out a little bit, but, you know, still there towards the end.
2: Yeah, I think you have to sort of, um, you know, you have to try and lean into these problems and make the best of them. It could have been something which we'd have felt quite crushed by, and I'm sure we did for a while, but then you sort of have to basically... Yeah, this episode also starts with a go-karting scene for Johnson's stag night. Interestingly, nice. Yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff here which I I've forgotten about. But yeah, the um he he starts drinking again, ends up. I think he is marrying Tony. Good God, it's like a alternative. Yeah, that.
0: that's that's something that we'd seen. Yeah, I can't imagine what Johnson's stag night would have been like
2: i think it was quite upsetting for everyone
1: <laughs> <laughs> so obviously you've talked about the fact that 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 episode got changed you never it never it went never went through in it's, its original guys are there any episodes or any scenes that you either regret might not be the right word but think that thought when you're writing then they would be funnier than they turn out to be or on the on the flip of that scenes that you wrote thinking this is just a standard part of my script and it's turned out to be sort of a classic part of it i think
2: one of the episodes that people often refer to is the dog eating one which we you know it felt like any other episodes really i guess again in a good way like when i said we did the read-through for johnson's death and it felt like too horrible to do in reality the dog thing felt funnier than we expected I think a lot of times visual jokes or extreme situations can really come across. Well, you have to be very careful with them because you can go badly wrong, but it felt like this one actually is, is actually pretty hilarious because I don't know, it's taboo busting. I think you got it about right where you shot it, which is always hard to do. So yeah, that was one that took us by surprise.
1: I think Tom and I, discussed this and I, i can't remember who we discussed it with we discussed it with one of the cast the funniest bit about that isn't the eating of the dog it's the fact that you know about 15 minutes before that it's going to happen you know the whole way through that episode as soon as that dog is there you know something is going to happen badly at the end and there are so many opportunities and that's down to your amazing script writing there are so many opportunities as you go through for jeremy to not eat that dog and that is what just creates the hilarity not the shock factor of actually eating it
2: yeah well we I think we were, when we knew we were going to go towards that ending, we, we, what we tried to do was be very um, conscientious about, make you know, let's try and burn it, let's try and bury it, let's try and drop it on the ground, and, and sort of not just go straight there for comic effect, but to obviously he's an idiot, and a, a normal person would not have to eat a dog, so that's fine, but in a, even in his own idiot's way, he's got to try various things before he gets there, otherwise you haven't earned the scene, I don't think
0: yeah exactly that definitely um now we've got to ask about um not not exactly a a series 10 but we've seen this um this these quotes about how uh, and we spoke to robert webb actually a little bit about it about this idea for what a series 10 would be like you know long off in the future and he said that there was an idea i don't know how much of it is a joke or not but about revisiting mark and jez sort of as as old men um and if that even if it was not to materialize or not like have you thought about you know even if it was just for fun those ideas and what that would look like
2: look i mean i think we will do something at some point is my hunch but that's all i can give you because we don't have any plans Because obviously everyone's very busy. Currently, everyone's locked in their houses. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm in LA. Jesse's obviously doing Succession to great effect. So it's gonna be a while, but I I have a hunch that we'll do something. I think the show, because of people like you, because of the the audience, you know, there's so much affection. It's again something we never take for granted. And I feel like, you know, it's been such. It was 12 years of my life doing that show. And I'm sh- sure Rob and David feel the same way. It's like it'd be kind of a shame not to ever do it again. But what it looks like, anyone's guess, really. I haven't, I haven't got anything concrete to tell you, I'm afraid.
0: No worries. We'll, we'll live and dream that <laughs> that we'll get to see them as old men. And um, so to, to finish up, really, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the like what you thought of the the legacy of the show because I think like peep show was quite you know bold in that it opened audiences up to sort of like new ideas and the 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 point of view film style and the you know the voiceover for the internal monologues were sort of those like key pillars in the show and like they opened up quite a few like new doors or certainly that i hadn't seen before in comedy so i just wanted to see like what what you thought of that looking back now
2: um I don't know. I sort of feel reluctant to take credit for opening new doors because I feel like comedy in Britain is in such good health and so many great writers that I'm sure they would have opened them up themselves. I suppose, if if anything, I feel like we benefited from shows that came before us, like Spaced and The Royal Family, who showed us new ways of doing comedy, doing it in a very visual style that's very unique. Um, Yeah, I mean... It's hard for me to answer that question, to be honest. I feel slightly unqualified. But um, if it has opened up new doors, then I'm happy. It's good to open doors, I think, in general, <laughs> isn't it? As a yeah, rule.
0: Absolutely. Uh, do, do you think that, you know, I'm, I'm almost a bit curious as to why maybe that hasn't been explored more, though. Like, the, the internal monologues in particular, because I know that the point of view stuff is is very, um, I don't know, I... I it works perfectly with Peep Show, but I can sort of see why maybe like other shows wouldn't do it. But the internal monologues in particular, I think, could be used to great effect in a bunch of other shows. But for some reason, there isn't a like a willingness to go there. Yeah,
2: I mean, obviously, we're not the first to ever do that. There are lots of films which have done that, or subtitles, like in Annie Hall, with people's thoughts. But I think maybe what was different about Peep Show is we made it such a huge part of the show. It's like indivisible from the show and maybe that's put off other people from trying because it would feel like our area. I don't know. All I can say is that it's something that I do miss because having a third dimension to write in of the human mind is, is pretty pretty special power to have in your, in your writing cupboard.
1: I actually watched a scene earlier with um, uh, the scene in the, caf- in the cafe with Mark and I can't remember what her name is, Sophie's friend, um sort of in series in series uh, two and uh they somebody had edited it and taken out the the monologue and without that it so many of those scenes i don't know whether anyone's done it with any of the other scenes but it just becomes so so strange like watching mark where he's sort of doing that weird sort of winking towards her uh, as he backs off and he's sort of um sort of saying oh let's let's uh let's not let's um like lessen the awkwardness with a wink and he sort of backs away and without him going without him here you hearing they <laughs> say that it, it just creates a whole new level
0: <laughs> yeah that's what i sort of mean with like the, the opening new doors like it, it was more in in that regard of like you've got a whole new like treasure trove of you know angles that you can take and options you can go down to like reveal characters and things like that so it, it was more like i imagine you have an awful lot of fun like playing around with
2: both. yeah and you know I think that was one of the reasons we kept going for nine seasons because we realized quite quickly that we'd sort of struck gold in various different ways, not just with, you know, two amazing actors who are comedy, you know, geniuses and the rest of the cast, but, um, that their thoughts is, is, it was like we'd, we'd, we found a new source of comedy, almost like, you know, the, they had never been mined quite like that before, and that felt like such a precious resource that we should keep going for as long as we did.
1: So when you had obviously you talked about the internal monologue, was there ever any discussion of having further characters with the monologue? Like, was it only ever going to be Mark and Jez? Did you ever consider sort of giving Sophie one or Superhands one? Yeah,
0: I think I saw Sophie was in consideration. Yeah, right? so
2: there, we when we did the pilot, so the pilot... Uh, We did it in two halves. We did 15 minutes and then they commissioned a further 15 minutes. And it was a similar sort of plot to episode two of series one. So when Jeremy goes to to go have a job interview at JLB, that was the pilot plot. Um, And in that non-broadcast pilot, which I do have on my computer, but is embargoed for legal reasons, and also because it would be quite weird to release it at this precise moment um sophie does indeed have a voiceover as does jeff played by a different actor we did we did think about um doing that for every character but it just felt like when we saw it and heard it it didn't work and i think we made the right choice but that's the beauty of having a pilot a non-broadcast one you can experiment
0: yeah that i think you're right maybe to yeah to keep it Type within uh, with just Mark and Jez, but I, I think it would have been interesting with Sophie to get like a female perspective. But uh, I don't know, maybe on the, f- the flip side, then a lot of a lot of the great moments, particularly in the early series, is, are Mark's monologues when he's trying to you know deal and interact with Sophie. I don't know, maybe having her monologue would have it would have been too much of a peek behind the curtain. I don't know, what do you think?
2: Yeah, that was what we felt that um, it, you know that wanted to get too um, boring. Pointing. Excuse me. <coughs> Point of view is a big part of how you tell a story, right? So you can't have infinite points of view because you lose focus. We felt like one was probably too few, and three was probably too many. Basically, it was just like trial and error, and felt like having two characters that were very well defined, essentially had opposite worldviews. That was enough, and we—if we, we went beyond that, it would become a sort of quite hard to focus
1: and hard yeah. to film, I'd imagine as well, even harder to film than, uh, yeah, well it was.
2: in the original scripts and in the pilot that we shot that wasn't broadcast, we were very, um, very kind of specific and, and very, uh, definite about you only ever hear their thoughts when you're seeing the world from their point of view, because, which obviously before you've seen the show, it makes sense, right? You're literally in someone's head visually and, in an audio sense. But that made it very hard to edit. And we brought in an amazing editor, Lucian Clayton, who's edited Veep and um, Derry Girls and many great comedies since then. And he was the one who took a look at our plans and ripped them up and said, no, you can't edit a comedy if you can't see the reaction on someone's face when when it's funny, right? So he immediately changed all that and we were able to have much more freedom in, in cutting to the funniest take or the funniest performance, even if the thought wasn't on the point of view, it didn't seem to matter. And I think Lucian really helped us because the first edits were a mess, quite frankly. It's a very strange show that visual grammar had not been invented. We had to sort of make one up, which is not something you normally have to do. Normally, if you shoot in the third person, the visual grammar has been established for a century and you're just, Doing another one of those this one we had to sort of make up as we went along and it was it was many times where it could easily have fallen apart and not worked at all and and he is someone i was thinking as really helping us with that
0: oh that's really fascinating um well we're, con- we're conscious of your what's your time um so thank you very much that's quite a, sort of a nice um area to end it on uh, particularly the legacy stuff um so thank you very much for for taking the time to to chat to us Um, is there anything, you said that at the moment that due to lockdown, you're sort of in between things at the moment, like, is there anything a bit, bit too early maybe to talk Um, about?
2: I'm writing stuff, but yeah, nothing's shooting, but I'll keep you posted.
0: (laughs) Cool. All right. Well, stay tuned to, uh, to all your socials then. Everyone's waiting. (laughs) Cool. Well, thank you very much for, for taking the time to have a chat with us. It's been really, really fun. My
2: pleasure. Thanks for uh, doing the show. It's very much appreciated all your dedication to it.
0: Brilliant! Okay. Cheers. Thanks, Sam.
2: By the way, if you want to speak to Ian Morris, he lives across the road from me. I could maybe hook you up if he's interested.
1: Well, oh, I've been I've been back and forth with him a fair a fair bit as I, as I was talking to you, and he he seems to be wrapped up. He's trying to finish writing something. He was telling me the other day. All right. Well,
2: I mean, I, I can't make uh, any promises. I mean, yes, I'll mention that, me to... I mentioned that I mentioned that we've done this chat and he said, you know, that you're good guys, and I, you know, I'll leave it up to him, but he, he he's much more entertaining than me. He's had some good stories to tell you. <laughs> oh,
0: brilliant! Yeah, appreciate sure, yeah, like that. That would be great. No an absolute Pleasure though. Thank you very much, Sam. Uh, you too, guys. Well, it Take care. Cheers. Have a good Bye evening. Cheers. Bye. 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 There we go. Then that was about an hour with uh, with Sam Bain. Absolute pleasure to talk to to Sam and uh, for him to take the time out of his uh, of his day, even if it is isn't during lockdown. Um, he's the other side of the world, so um, re- really appreciate that. And uh, what what a great conversation! Yeah, it really was like like we said before. We played the interview.
1: Some really great stuff. Some some theories confirmed. Some new stuff come out of it. And what I really liked, and actually it's a shame because I think we missed it off the end of the interview was Sam just sort of expressing his gratitude to peep show fans and just really saying like the fact that we do a podcast about it nearly 20 years after he first made it, he said is just like bigger than his wildest dreams that he ever thought was going to happen, which he said he found it quite humbling and we found that very humbling that he sort of said that to us. Um, The thing, the thing that we, that, that we sort of talk about for Two hours every weekend.
0: Yeah, I guess I suppose it's that thing like when you start out, you just want to um, focus on first of all just making the thing, like seeing your vision come to life, and then you got to worry about, you know, are people watching it and, you know, picking up a second series or whatever. But to then, you know, I'm sure if someone could have told him 20 years ago, like the show you're about to make is going to live on, like well beyond, it's going to have that cult fan base, that quite hardcore fan base. For years after, you know, the, the show's sort of closed curtains, and it's going to have this following, and people doing podcasts, and people running events and quizzes all about Peep Show. It's, um, yeah, I, d- I don't think anyone really could predict that that's the sort of thing they're about to create.
1: No, absolutely, and I think it's just it. It, it was it was a great a great chat with him. Um, some really 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 good stuff uh from him and yeah just i just want to shout out sam bain again and we did the robert webb interview and we said i don't think you can get any better than this <laughs> and then <laughs> Sam Bain's come along we've interviewed him um and it's just it really is a dream come true to, to speak to sam so uh big shout out to him again big thank you for his time um i'm sure you're i'm sure you're listening back to your own voice here sam
0: yeah <laughs> absolutely who knows maybe one day we'll we'll complete the pair and we'll get jesse and then we'll complete the other pair uh, hopefully when we we get david on that is sort of um semi like locked in and we, we just need to get that recorded so it's um yeah we're, we're getting ever so close to you know completing the podcast so it's all very exciting lockdown sort of worked wonders for us hasn't it
1: yeah so you're listening to this sort of like i said before the interview sort of mid July time. Um, the UK is sort of slowly coming out of lockdown now. So you're going to slowly start hearing bits and bobs of the stuff that we've recorded. We recorded a lot during lockdown. We did a lot of cast and crew and celebrity fan interviews. So slowly over this break and then the break between series uh, five and series six. So sorry, between series six and series seven, you'll hear more um, sort of those sort of guests that we've got. So we've got some big other guests lined up. Uh, to play to you
0: that's a beautiful segue so if you tune in for our next episode uh these are going to probably come at a, a fortnightly cadence i think now for a while we're between series but if you tune in uh, in a fortnight's time we are going to be sharing with you our conversation with mr robert popper um for those who may not be familiar um he produced series three and series four of peep show and then in the uk um in particular now he is probably most famous for being the the mind behind friday night dinner um and he's you know wrote produced directed you know sort of put, put this thing um together um that is kind of you know stolen the the heart of the of the british comedy scene it's sort of like the the new well i say new i think it's about six series deep now isn't it um yeah i
1: think they've kind of come to the end of it to be honest <laughs> yeah
0: but it's sort of that it was you know the probably the most recent british comedy that i can think of that has sort of really let took the nation by storm
1: yeah that's a fair that's fair to say um so yeah he will come in the next podcast that you're listening to um so if you do want to find us on social media you can find us podcast secrets the pharaohs on facebook at podcast pharaohs on twitter at Podcast Secrets of the Pharaohs on Instagram. And if you want to stick to the old fashioned email, you can find us Podcast Secrets of the Pharaohs at gmail.com. If you do want to uh, join us on Patreon, uh, which is a basic tipping platform for us, you can uh, find us at patreon.com forward slash Podcast Pharaohs. And there are loads of great rewards you can get for signing up for that. Have I missed anything, Tom?
0: um i guess the other thing would be to shout out the reviews like this is you know uh, this is one of the the dream guests that we've had as we've said so if you've enjoyed this um sort of content then um you know show a little bit of love in the review section there um and and leave us a review and let us know what you thought and um you know who who else do you want to see um join us on the podcast and we'll we'll do our best to to get more great guest appearances like these
1: Yeah, um, and I think it's a really good time. Hopefully there'll be a fair few people listening to this episode and it's probably your first time listening to us or possibly the second if you've listened to the Robert Webb one as well. So we have got sort of five series worth of of content to go back and listen to. We've reviewed all the episodes right from War in Factions right up to the end of series five. We've just finished that. So we do go back and check those out. We've got some cracking interviews with other members of the cast if you want to check those out as well
0: cool right i think that about wraps things up doesn't it
1: it does yeah so uh thank you for uh listening back to it and we look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks absolutely we'll see you then
0: bye